Hi, listeners. I'm Irene Barton, Executive Director of the Cobb Collaborative, and I welcome you to Mind Your Mind Speaks. This is a podcast that brings together subject matter experts, community leaders, and local stakeholders to raise awareness, share resources, and inspire action through recorded conversations about the Cobb Collaborative's focus areas and our community. Today, we are delighted to welcome two ladies to our program who are involved in a special part of the district attorney's office known as the Cobb Family Advocacy Center. The director, Tanisha McCauley, is here with us, as well as Katerina Michelli, who is a program director for the Offender Accountability Project. Ooh, that's a lot of titles. <laughs> but ladies, welcome to our podcast. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so great. Um, so um, Katerina, if you can share a little bit about how you ended up in this position with a really long title. I think that you're relatively new to COP, but not new to this very important work, right? Uh, yeah, so I always feel like I have to take a deep breath as soon as I go to introduce my name and my yes. title because it is quite the mouthful, but um, I grew up here in Cobb um, and then I went to university down in Tampa, Florida at St. Leo University and upon graduating, I immediately started working um, at the Roswell 911 Center and I worked there for a few years doing 911 dispatching for uh, police, fire and medical and then I took a break from that um, post-COVID and I was trying to determine if I wanted to go to law school or what kind of my next steps in my career journey was going to be. And that's when I stumbled across this position with the Cobb District Attorney's Office as a case manager and a project coordinator for this initiative. And it really, it spoke to me because of the ability to not only work with victims, but also with offenders and working with the criminal justice system to kind of improve our response to domestic violence, sexual assault, and stalking cases. So, well, um, so really you have a lot of history in Cobb County and welcome back to the uh, the Northwest Metro area, I guess is more appropriate. So <laughs> we're glad that Florida didn't keep you too long and that you're back uh, with your your roots here and, and doing such great work. And Tanisha, you've been in Cobb just a bit longer, but you were in the metro area already, right? Prior to right. joining the DA's office. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background? Absolutely. Um, prior to coming um, on board here with the Cobb District Attorney's Office, um, I served in Fulton County. I served as one of their executive directors for the Superior Courts, um, where I had an opportunity to oversee the operations of all of their accountability court programs um, that fell under that umbrella. And they primarily focused on substance abuse, uh, mental health, veterans, re-entry, um, kind of what they call those problem-solving courts to help people uh, reacclimate to their communities after they've gotten the appropriate treatment. Mm -hmm. So not too different from the Cobb County's accountability courts. Absolutely, not different at all, just a different location. Right. Well, everybody's doing good work, but I know in Cobb County, many stakeholders are pretty darn proud and rightly so of As the track record of the accountability court. So, Absolutely. Well, well, wonderful. Well, again, um, both of you, welcome to Cobb County or welcome back to Cobb County and welcome to our podcast. So our community is just a few months away from having a pretty incredible 
new resource, right? The Family mm -hmm. Advocacy Center. Will one of you, and I'll let you flip a coin <laughs> as to who starts, as um, maybe, I, I know it's pretty broad, but um, hit the highlights, the purpose of the Family Advocacy Center. Absolutely. So when we talk about the purpose of the FAC, that's that short acronym that we use. Mm -hmm. It's really to work collaboratively with our partners in coordinating services for victims and survivors of domestic and intimate partner violence, child and elder abuse, sexual assault, human trafficking, and stalking. And ultimately, these services are coordinated under one roof so that victims and or survivors are not having to go to so many different steps in so many different places to be able to receive these critical and necessary services um, that they need as they are, you know, traveling through this uh, journey. Right. Well, and, you know, with the trauma-informed work that Cobb collaborative does, that is so important because we are reducing the number of times that the victim or survivor is re-traumatized by having to retell their story, open up a new case or whatever. So I, I know it's hard, but I mean, this really has been an issue for victims and survivors, right? Can you sure. give um, as just a quick example, maybe of what in the past that has looked like for, say, maybe a mother um, with children who is escaping a PDV situation. Absolutely. So when we look at impact statements, um, these reports that we had a chance to review from other family justice centers around the world, and when we look at the things that victims and survivors have had to do, so when they when they show up, if they decide that they want to file a temporary protective order, that's one place. And okay. let's say that they have children with them and they need to get some services in place for their children. When we start looking at food assistance and those things, they have to go to another agency such as DFAS, uh -huh. the Department mm -hmm. of Social Services. And then let's say that they want to speak with a, an investigator or a police officer to discuss their case. So now that's another trip that they would potentially have to take. And then let's talk about the court process if they mm -hmm. have to go to court and if the court date gets rescheduled. And, and again, I always look at these things where they may have children involved. And then if you add an additional layer, let's say that there's someone with a, a, a barrier to language, a language barrier where they may not understand and there's not an interpreter that's on site at that time. So then they have to go through other you know, parts of the process. So it could really um, wow. create a lot of challenges just for one victim or survivor that's trying to navigate this process. It really, um, it really could. And when you think about, I'm sure this isn't the case in every single circumstance, but sort of the image that comes to mind is um, someone leaving their situation with perhaps just the clothes that are on their back, right? So they might not have access to credit cards or debit cards or a lot of cash. And so here now our system is kind of expecting them to perhaps navigate public transportation or Lyft or Uber or all these sorts of things. So you are really making life easier for them in very difficult circumstances. And I probably shouldn't use the word easier, but uh, but again, less. Um, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And the school, 
Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah, no, 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 please. Go right ahead. Of, um, the Family Justice Center kind of came about from San Diego, California, and that the burden was entirely on the victim to seek out these services. Mm. And so they'd be going to one, two, three, all these different agencies, sometimes across town yeah. to get these services. And so the Family Justice Center essentially kind of inverts that burden. Mm-hmm. And so the burden is now this sort of centralized hub, which is the Family Advocacy Center or the Family Justice Center. And it's kind of like that place where all of these different agencies can come together and provide services. Right. Okay. And a phrase that we're hearing more and more in our trauma-informed work in inverting the burden. So thank you, Katerina, for bringing that phrase. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is so exciting that we're really just a a few months away from it opening, but it has been a road to get here, right? So how did this come about? And from what I understand, I've been a little bit uh, a part of the journey. It was truly a collaborative effort, which of course speaks to our heart at the Cobb Collaborative. So ladies, want to comment on the the journey to get here and what it took? (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So prior to even me coming on board, Irene, um, the Cobb community had already did a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, I say this often about our um, director of Victim Witness Unit, uh, Kim McCoy, she did a lot of the heavy lifting, you know, reaching out to partners in the community, you know, asking for their support, asking for their buy-in as it related to applying for this um, opportunity that was released through the Criminal Justice Coordinating Council. Um, there was a grant award and it was, it just so happened that Cobb County was one of three counties that was awarded this opportunity to be able to start the planning uh, process for a family justice center model to be placed here. And so um, I came on board in 2021 at the very beginning of the year. And um, I've been with the project ever since that time. And it has been a true collaborative coordinating and everything else in between effort (laughs) to get us to this opening and the operational part of a family justice center. Yeah, Um, and it makes so much sense as we have discussed, yet there were probably some, I don't know, perhaps persuasive conversations that needed to take place, right? Because other providers of services might have felt like, well, that's how is that going to impact my funder or my stakeholders um, if I am no longer providing that service under my roof, right? Absolutely. And believe it or not, this is one of those things that I would say is a a huge blessing overall, but it's kind of like a blessing. And I'm not going to say curse, but I'll say an unblessing. Here in (laughs) Cobb County, there is such, this is a very resource rich area. Everyone here has done a phenomenal job of the services and things that they already do. So coming into this, you think like, well, I mean, my goodness, you guys already have it. Like you have all of these great partners. You have LiveSafe, you have SafePath, you have Cobb Collaborative, you have our office, Victim Witness Unit, mm-hmm. you have all of our different police forces So when you have that level of support and things that are already going on, it could almost seem like, well, where do you guys, where does the Family Advocacy Center fit in? Because we're doing that. And so 
ultimately what our desire is, is to, to lessen the work of our partners, to be able to serve as a support and not be perceived as that competitor mm -hmm. or someone that would come in. Like we are literally, our desire is to help ease some of the work that our partners have already been doing for a very long time. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, uh, uh, Tanisha mentioned that there was in this last in, in the round where Cobb had a center, um, there were three centers, um, and I think those are in Georgia, correct? Correct. But Katerina, not every community in Georgia has a family justice center, right? Yes. So there are um, limited, like you said, only three really in the state of Georgia have gotten the funding to go ahead and move forward. And those are going to be, apart from Rockdale County, which is um, a place that has the, the beginnings of a family justice center, those are really going to be the only three available in the state for um, a family justice center. So oh, it is wow. okay. far between, but it is a prestigious honor that we were awarded one of the three to be able to move forward in creating this process. Mm-hmm. So the other two, everybody's kind of moving along at the same pace, um, I guess. Is there the thought that there may be future opportunities for other communities or it's just too hard to say? Um, there will be other opportunities. Um, I know that there's been some discussion about Fulton County um, beginning the process. Um, and I'm sure this going to, you know, branch out to other, you know, surrounding areas um, as well. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think now Georgia ranks number 43 in terms of states that have onboarded family justice centers in terms of the model that is demonstrated out of San Diego. Okay. Okay. The one that um, Katerina mentioned. And yeah. I know that the core team has visited some of the um, some other sites and learned best practices, as well as um, perhaps opportunities, <laughs> yes. successes and challenges and, and all of that. So, um, Tanisha, before we hear about what a typical day um, in your life looks like, if, if there is such a thing, let's hear from Katarina who you're doing a lot of work behind the scenes, if that's a fair way to describe it. And so tell us more about what you're working on, but how does that impact the FAC? Yeah, so I am actually on a separate grant that the um, that the district attorney's office got. We got this grant through the Department of Justice and the Office of Violence Against Women. So the grant that I'm under is what's called Improving Criminal Justice Response Grant. Mm -hmm. And Cobb County is one of about 75 other places across the country that receive these funds to be able to kind of assess, evaluate how you're currently handling um, domestic violence, sexual assault, and stalking cases, and then ways that you can improve the way that you're handling and processing these cases. So I started with the district attorney's office probably in March of 2022. So I haven't been here all of that long, but in that time, I've been able to conduct different needs assessment as well as a system mapping. Um, and working with our partners, both community and systems-based. So when I refer to systems-based, I think more of like the traditional criminal justice system. So your courts, your prosecutors, your police, um, and then the community organizations or organizations like Live Safe and Safe okay. Path that are more nonprofit organizations. Mm -hmm. And we've been able to work with both of those um, simultaneously and kind of look at how we're currently 
handling these cases within Cobb and then ways that we can look to other places across the country to improve our handling of those cases. And um, that work ties a lot into the Family Advocacy Center because in addition to the domestic violence, sexual assault, stalking, the Family Advocacy Center represents human trafficking, child and elder abuse. And so I've been able to work um, really a lot with Tanisha in the different um, planning processes, as well as some of the different subcommittees of um, the Family Advocacy Center. And I've really enjoyed that work as well. Super. Well, I can definitely see how all of that helps to inform the Family Advocacy Center, as well as these other systems and things that you've um, that you mentioned. So, and gosh, when you said that Cobb County was one of 75 communities to receive this, we we should be really proud that um, we were one of three in the state of Georgia to receive the funding for the Family Justice Center, and then one of 75 across the nation to receive this other. So we are doing good things, but as we all know, when we when we know better, we do better. And so that's why um, it's so great that you ladies and, and others too are out there seeing best practices and learning from other communities. And um, no doubt, even if people are not already coming to us, which I bet they are to learn how we do things, they will soon be, right? Because <laughs> we, we will be the standard standard bearer. So, all right. So, Tanisha, is there such a thing as a typical day in, in your life right now? And <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that's a yes or no answer. It's not actually intended to be that, but how will that be different? How will typical differ once the FAC opens its doors? Absolutely. Um, a tip, I, and I'm with you, Irene. I don't know if I would say typical. I'd probably say more atypical, <laughs> seriously. Um, but a day in, in my life looks a lot like a lot of planning as it relates to what are those things that are taking place to get this center operational. Um, so that it that we're up and able to start providing those critical services that we talked about. And so that is a lot, I'm doing a lot of research, a lot of, you know, looking at what the science is saying, looking at what the research is showing so that I can take that education to our partners and to our community so that they can understand what we mean when we say, you know, a, a family advocacy center and what domestic violence looks like in our community. Um, there's a lot of meetings involved. There's a lot of presentations, a lot of trainings, because even though we do this work, the learning is ongoing, so we can never learn too much information as it relates to how we can become a better community in responding to um, family violence as a whole. So um, I wear multiple hats um, throughout the week, and um, I'm so thankful, as Katarina uh, mentioned, you know, having um, her support and whenever we are able to kind of get together and brainstorm on things that maybe I'm not able to, you know, cover because my primary focus is making sure that our partners are ready and, you know, excited about going into this new initiative because with the newness comes a lot of reservations, you know, because it's the unknown. Mm -hmm. um, so really focusing on those things that are going to help us get it as right as we possibly can when we start and um, just, you know, moving the journey along that way. Mm -hmm. So I want to go back to an earlier comment, um, and I think it was you, Tanisha, that talked about a one-stop shop for um, victims and, and survivors. And so is that physically like there will be 
um, like LiveSafe will have a, a remote office or a, a remote person and we can do so much virtually now, but of course there's privacy concerns, there's safety concerns, but is it, is it truly like a person is going to um, like a, a mall, a shopping mall, and they'll be able to go to different types of services and it will all be under one roof? Is that Absolutely. a fair analogy or? That is a fair analogy. Now, one of the things that I would like to make, you know, to make the distinction on, that's what the model family justice center looks like. Mm -hmm. But it's so important for our community and our partners to understand that it took these family justice centers a long time before they arrived at the place where they are able to provide all of those essential services out of one roof. Okay. Starting out, family justice centers will look really different um, because there is a process in onboarding, you know, those partners. And, you know, what I look at now, a lot of my planning um, looks like, what does it look like post-pandemic? Because a lot of partners are navigating different terrains than they were when we first started this process. So lending out one employee could be detrimental, mm, you know, mm -hmm. to a process that may not have looked that way two years ago. Right. And so starting out, we may not be able to provide all of those services under one roof, but that is the ultimate goal. And until we get to that, there's going to be a lot of collaboration and a lot of things where we will have to, you know, tweak and do things differently until we can get there. Okay. Thank you for helping me understand that. And I think what's so important to keep in mind is that the, um, the so-called um, referral process will just look a lot different and will be much more in the lines of inverting the burden, the phrase that Katerina used, because um, everyone associated with the FAC will know that it is not preferred that you know, you give a person a business card and say, okay, if, if your family needs food, here's, here's a place like that is not ideal whatsoever. So even if they're not physically under one roof, the process is going to look different pretty early on. Right. Absolutely. And, and of course, again, that ultimate goal is to, and we will, we have the capacity to do that here in Cobb County, to be that model family justice center. Um, and starting out, you know, we will have a great plan in place where we're still able to provide services to families, to individuals. It just may not look like that one-stop shop in the beginning. Sure, sure. Understood. Mm -hmm. So, a, a lot of really great things and so exciting for our community. So let's let's start on the on the positive side, on the good news. What's been your biggest win so far? I'll ask each of you to answer that if you would like. I'm gonna let Katarina. I need to, she needs to get, I wanted to hear her first. <laughs> <laughs> Katarina, what's your biggest win so far? So I think for me, what was so incredibly like welcoming and overwhelming to me was the level of support and commitment of our different partners to this project, not only to Tanisha's project, but also to mine and the ability to have very 
open, candid conversation about what's working and what's maybe we could work a little harder and a little better on. Mm -hmm. Being able to have those sort of dialogues what from right from the beginning was so such a huge win for me because a lot of the other places across the country were like, yeah, we're, we're trying, we're beginning those conversations and I'm not really sure what that's going to look like. And so they're still in the process of that information gathering where since I was able to kind of jumpstart that process, we've been able to kind of move forward and start um, rolling out different things that we want to implement. Um, so I think that to me was part, and I was just so Um, I was so warmly received by everybody, all of our different agencies, both within our system, but also outside with our community organizations, um, just kind of welcomed me with open arms. And I was really blown away by that. So. Excellent. You know, you always kind of fear that you'll hear the, but we've always done it that way. (laughs) Type of response. We're dealing with the government too. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And it sounds like, I'm sure there were a couple of those um, comments, but that everybody was you know open the doors and yeah come on in and let's let's see what's going on so all right well that's hard to top but uh Tanisha I'm gonna ask you <laughs> what what's what's been your biggest win so far um I would definitely agree with Katarina that was my experience you know when I first came into the role and it has continued on um to date. And so that's always a plus. It makes our job a little bit easier if if I'm able to say that word easier. <laughs> um, I would say that another huge win for this project was um, at the beginning of the year and towards the end of last year, um, we were fortunate to establish a relationship with the Georgia Power Foundation. And through that relationship, through that partnership, um, our um, family advocacy center was awarded over $100,000 in um, seed money to help us with the implementation process. And through that um, collaborative effort that we were able to make here um, with that foundation, that was able to be spread to the other um, family justice center initiatives in those other two areas, that's Waycross and Macon. And while um, they were not, they didn't receive as big of a support fund as we did, nonetheless, they received something that was able to go towards their implementation process. And, and we all know in this and this time where we don't really have anything to show, um, that was really a good faith effort on Georgia Power Foundation side to say, we believe in the work that you guys are going to do. We've already seen what you do now. And so we believe in you to this extent and then some, and we mm-hmm. want to support you all. So that was a huge win um, for our COB partners um, on this initiative. Absolutely. Well, hats off to the Georgia Power Foundation for for seeing the need and and answering the call to be a champion for our community and for our most vulnerable residents. So absolutely. Well, it can't be all roses and unicorns or um, rainbows and unicorns. That's the phrase, right? There's been some challenges um, and don't want you to throw anybody under the bus, but What's been what's been a challenge that you are just ready to say goodbye to? Um, I think for me, I would some of the challenges, those very things that we need. Um, these programs are amazing. They save lives and they change in communities in a positive way. Unfortunately, we also get caught in that that world of funding or lack mm-hmm. thereof. And, you know, I've seen it, you know, throughout my career where you could have a program that is powerful, 
It's doing the very things that the community needs and wants, but you know, lack of funding can ultimately cause great initiatives to go away. And so that's why we keep those things in the forefront while we are learning about, you know, the traumas and different things as it relates to this field that we're in, we still have to, you know, learn about the sustainability side of it and how can we ensure that all of this work, all of the efforts that everyone is committing to this process doesn't get lost ultimately Mm -hmm. due to funding. So I would say that that is one of the challenges that we're always on the front line and wanting to ensure that that doesn't happen here. Absolutely. Um, Anything else to add there, Katerina? I think I agree with Tanisha that funding is one of those things that can just stop, like put the brakes on the project before it even really gets up on its feet. But in addition to that, I think we are in a unique situation now um, with specifically domestic violence, because domestic violence is one of those topics of areas where psychologists and people from all across the fields have been studying extensively. But the thing is, is COVID sort of changed everything. Domestic violence had a gigantic spike. In Georgia alone, it was 140% year-over-year increase from 2019 to 2020. And 2021 and 2022 were pretty much on track with that as well. Mm -hmm. In addition, Georgia's gone from down in the lower um, portions of the state now to fourth in the nation for its rate of men killing women. And so kind of taking those national practices that have worked across the country pre-COVID and you're learning about all of these things, but then trying to take it, not only reconceptualize it in a Cobb County context, but in a post-COVID, if I can even begin to say that context Mm -hmm. as well. Um, And so that's been a challenge and uh, sort of COVID changed a lot of things all across the world. You have people more than ever working from home, but in addition, what happens to the people where home isn't exactly a safe place? Yeah. And so having to navigate those waters in addition to that, I think that's been one of my biggest challenges because I've learned so much about all of these different um, models and things across the country that have worked, but that was in a pre-pandemic world. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. With challenges enough, but then you layer on this other, this whole other thing that nobody has a playbook for. Yeah. Exactly. So um, ladies, as we look to wrap up our conversation, How can people learn more? And if someone wanted to get involved to support the work of the FAC, they might not have $100,000 like the Georgia Power Foundation, but they might have some um, either time, talent, um, or treasure. So how would they go about finding out more? The best way for um, anyone that's interested in supporting the Cobb Family Advocacy Center in any capacity is to reach me. Um, They can reach Katarina. Um, I'm more than happy to share my contact information. Um, That's Tanisha.McCauley at CobbCounty.org. Um, I will we'll drop that great. in the in the show notes for both you and Katarina. Okay, absolutely, great. absolutely. So right, right now, that's the best way, Katarina, for you as well, or anything to uh, add? Yeah, I think so. And I think Tanisha and I are in the process right now of creating other ways that people can get involved. I know we're okay. um, working on our website. And then once we have that, it'll have links to volunteering as well as if people want to make a donation. Um, we're working on kind of building out that, um, how people can kind of have a sponsorship program with the FAC once it's up. And so once, um, and all of that information will be on our website. Um, and so that's a way that people, if they don't necessarily want to volunteer, but want to make a one-time donation, they can mm-hmm. also do that as well. 
Absolutely. Well, we'll eagerly await the, the launch of the website and the um, opening of the doors, which end a year, beginning of 2023. Is that a rough time frame or if you don't want to commit, that's fine. <laughs> no, a, a safer, a, a safer time frame is definitely looking like that 2023, just because of, okay. you know, again, things that we've had to navigate, you know, with our partners and, you know, different unique things like that. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, more of that early 2023. Okay. Well, it'll be here before you know it. So, Absolutely. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, ladies, is there anything that we didn't have a chance to talk about that you do want to share? I think if I could end for me, um, mm -hmm. we want to ensure that our community and the individuals in the community, whether they've been directly or indirectly impacted by domestic or intimate partner or family violence in any of those capacities that we talked about earlier in this segment, the Family Advocacy Center is the place where they can come. It doesn't matter how long a victimization may have taken place. Um, it does not have to be law enforcement involved. Um, we want our, um, our other communities to know our immigrant community. We do not look at, you know, an immigration status, any of those things that could uh, discourage or hinder people from coming mm -hmm. to seek services. We want everyone to know that this is truly a come as you are service. And if there's a resource that we are unable to provide in that moment, this team, this collaborative effort will do everything that we can to connect individuals to the appropriate and the right resources to get the support and services that they need. Uh, so well said. You really are looking to remove barriers um, to access. Yeah, so. Absolutely. And Katerina, anything from you? I think that is a position that cannot be overstated more. I think that whole concept of come as you are, regardless of documentation status, regardless of any other, um, like we will be offering culturally specific services. We have LGBTQIA services. We're really working to kind of flush out all of those traditionally underserved communities and bringing them into a place where they feel like they have a voice. They feel like they're being heard. They feel like they have a place that's safe for them to be able to be themselves. And I think one of the things that's most important to remember, and I remember Tanisha came up with this during our strategic planning, and it's like stuck with me ever since. If you are trying to remember what type of services we provide, just hold up your hand and count off the five. We do sexual assault, domestic violence, child abuse, elder abuse, and human trafficking. And kind of having that visual to go along with it when you're trying to remember all of the different communities and services that we offer, those are kind of the five main populations that we serve. So excellent. What a um, great uh, device to remember. Thank you. So. And I think a lot in our, um, like what we've done so far is I'm in. So that's an Alliance for Hope, who is the the coin of the Family Justice Center. They hold up their hands and they go, I'm in. So I think that's kind of where it came from. Okay. Um, with those five, but that was something that she's, um, Tanisha said during our strategic planning. And that was, the strategic planning happened in April and I started in okay. March. So I was still trying, I was drinking from the fire hose. Yes. Trying <laughs> to get caught up on all of these years worth of um, groundwork that had already been laid for my initiative. And that was one of the things that stuck with me even now. Yes. 
through. So <laughs> wonderful. Uh, well, ladies, thank you so much for taking time out of your incredibly hectic and busy days to spend some time with us and for all the work that you're doing and looking forward to a ribbon cutting, hopefully sometime in early 2023 that we can uh, continue to serve our community. So thank you. Thank you so much for having us. So. Yeah, thank you so much, Irene. It's always great to work with you. A pleasure. And listeners, thank you for tuning in today. And to be sure that you don't miss any future episodes, please subscribe to our Mind Your Mind podcast. Also, we ask that you leave us a review on Apple. Please tune in next time as we continue to empower and engage our community through conversations about important and critical issues that our community is dealing with. Until next time, please stay well and stay safe. <laughs>